It's really easy when you watch children, especially when they are getting in trouble, to see that the thing that frightens them most is someone getting angry with them, especially an adult angry with them. Children often equate anger with the loss of love. And children want to be loved, don't we all? We teach teachers and adults to tell children that you're mad at the action, not mad at them, because we don't like people to be angry with us. If we're honest with ourselves, it's hard for us to separate the rejection of our actions from the rejection of our persons. And if we fear the loss of love in our earthly relationships, how much more must we fear it from God? The beauty of this passage in Isaiah is that the first 10 chapters of Isaiah are Isaiah's prophecies of God's judgment on the people of Judah for their breaking of their covenant with God. And by the time we get to the 12th chapter, the people of God have been put through the ringer. And this 12th chapter promises restoration, a new beginning, a new leader who reigns with peace. So we see here the potential for anger giving way to comfort. In Hebrew, this word comfort, and in the Greek, this word comfort literally means the removal of a burden so that a person can breathe freely again. The removal of a burden so that a person can breathe freely again. That's a great way to picture God as our comforter, isn't it? God literally removes our burdens so that we can breathe freely again. We're probably pretty quick to respond to this passage knowing or remembering that we have a new covenant that we made with Jesus that we remember every month around this table. This new covenant made with us where Jesus promised us not judgment, but grace. This promise that God doesn't judge us, but do we really believe that? How do we see judgment today? Do we really feel like God sits in front of a screen watching all of us in our lives and when we do something not pleasing to God, a button is pushed, and boom, you're next in line for the next big disaster. Boom, Austin's getting a flood. Do we really believe that of God? We say all the time, well, it was an act of God. Floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, drought. But I'm guessing that very few of you really believe that God sits and dictates who will suffer. Or that God decides that there's going to be an event where a large number of people are going to be made to pay for their sins. I do believe 
however, that when we fall out of covenant with God, when we treat others wrongly, when we leave God out of our mix, the judgment that befalls us comes from ourselves. When we allow ourselves to step out of the direction we know we're being led, we lose. It's that simple. Maybe we lose joy or purpose or vitality, but we feel that burden weighing us down, making it difficult to breathe, a weight up on us. Have you ever felt that? This weight because of something that you've done that you know is not right. Sometimes, sometimes it's that self-judgment that wakes us up and helps us find our direction again. I have this really fancy device on my car that when I'm driving down the road, if I'm not paying enough attention, and I start to swerve out of the lane, it pulls me back in. If I try to swerve out, it pulls me back in. If I do that a couple of times in a short period of time, then my car says to me, please make sure both hands are on the wheel. Maybe that's what it's like for us with God. When we get out of step, God urges us back to the center. And if it happens a few times in a short period of time, I can see God tapping us on the head and saying, wake up, get back in line with me. Not punishment, not loss of love, not judgment, but perhaps guidance. God lifting that burden and saying, I love you. I'm here. I didn't love that action, but that's happened. So come back in and let me comfort you. The next portion of this Isaiah passage talks about the well of salvation. Now, it may surprise you, but my grandparents lived in Antlers, Oklahoma. You've probably never heard of it because there's not much there. They lived on a big farm that had no running water inside the house. They had an outhouse and they had wells. Well, when I would first get there, it was fun to run to the well and reel up a bucket of water and take it into my grandmother. But when she needed a whole bunch of water, it wasn't fun anymore. It was hard work. It got really hard to draw that bucket up. And even when they got uptown and they had a pump put in the kitchen, after you pumped that thing a few times, you got really tired of doing it. I'm guessing the wells that Isaiah refers to are even less sophisticated and my grandparents. The well of salvation is there for each one of us to receive joy. But those wells could probably be tedious or messy or exhausting. But that well of salvation 
is available. It never says it's easy. But the well of salvation is always there. And then the passage gets to what I believe is the most important part for us. For great is in our midst is the Holy One of Israel. Where is God for you? When we come here on Sunday morning and we come into this place of worship, where is God for you? Is God at this altar where we come and break bread and remember? Is God in the word, in the light, in the cross? Where do you find God in this place? This should be the easiest place to find God. Science has turned God into this inert gas that hangs around us. We can't see, but we can feel. But is that true for you? Is that true for you? Or is God around when you need God and not around when we'd rather not have God around? Is the only use for God to be of use for you? Let me say that again. Is the only use for God to be the use for you? God, I need you to do this. Or God, I need you to do that. But then God, could you just sit over there until I need you? Because I'm not sure you're going to like what I'm about to do. What do we really believe is God's place in our life? Do we need to believe in order to be certain that God is always in our midst? I know it would be difficult for this to be a responsive time for us, but I am curious what your answer would be to that. Where is God for you? Strangely enough, I think if we ask that question to our children, they could answer it easier than you could. Because as we get older, we get less connected. Let me tell you that we had a serious discussion over this question in my lectionary group this week. How often we saw or felt the presence of God but where does God go when we don't feel God's presence? At WomanFest last week, our facilitator, Sonia Phillips, introduced us to this book that I was not familiar with by Michael Quotes, I guess is how you say his name. It's a book of real prayers, not fancy, not all churchy sounding, but real prayers. And I was looking through it, and I saw a prayer that I thought was so fitting for this day. Lord, are you coming shopping with me? I had to go out shopping, but once again I was regretting the time it took. Time wasted, I thought. 
Oh, the tyranny of time, imposed partner, implacable companion of my days and years. It breaks up my life, hurries me and rules me, runs so fast and makes me run. Am I not a slave of time? But this morning, Lord, you beckoned to me, reminding me that you were there. Available, peaceful, just standing still. I decided then to get time under control, to take my time, to leave my car behind and to go on foot. And I said to you, Lord, Lord, are you coming shopping with me? We shopped together. And this evening I want to thank you for coming with me because I saw things I would never have noticed if you hadn't been there. I saw streams of life in my neighborhood streets. Cars moving along and drivers getting impatient, people in a hurry and people strolling. I saw the angry mother dragging her crying child and the one who stopped for a few moments to smile and talk to her baby the unemployed person seeking help, and the lady walking her pet dog, the young, remember, the young people embracing each other, and the children shouting and squabbling as they came out from school. I saw the shop windows, welcoming, enticing, and the long, longing looks piercing the glass to caress a thousand scraps of earthly paradise the posters proclaiming the joy of life, the others announcing the struggle of people battling for survival. And I said to you, look, Lord, you see this person here and that one there? Tell them that you love them. Yes, say it. To those who are unaware that you accompany them step by step every day, and as for me, Lord, you allowed me to watch them with you. And I saw them for a little while as you see me. I saw their joys and their sorrows beyond the look in their eyes and the patter of their footsteps. I saw your life in their life, your love in their loves, despite their ignorance and perhaps even their rejection of you. Through you, I saw them as brothers and sisters, called to say together one day, our Father who art in heaven. There were times when I thought you weren't there. But that's not my fault, Lord, because so often you are silent. You know I complain about your silence and that I suffer because of it oh so much. But now... I know that the strongest love is not the most vociferous, and I believe in your love. I come home happy. I have overcome time. I hadn't wasted my time, and I'm sure that you were happy too. Because there are people with great minds, Lord, who say that if you, we want to pray to you, we must go away by ourselves kneel down or sit up straight with our arms here and our arms there, close your eyes to see you better, our ears to hear you better, and begin with and continue by and finish by. But they forget to say, Lord, that we should go out to go shopping with you, to look at the world, at men and women, at life, so as to gather up the joys of all these people 
and their secret sorrows and to give them to you to carry because you gladly bear the heaviest burdens and leave the lighter packages to us. Lord, you restore sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. Yet again, I implore you, open my eyes, open my ears. So often I'm tempted to turn it on myself and to shop without seeing and hearing. With you, I'll shop with my heart. And when I get back home, I'll be rich. Not with what I've bought, but with what I've seen, received, carried. In the evening, I'll open my bag in front of our Father to show my shopping to Him. And excuse me, Lord, if I produce some damaged fruit that I took a fancy to while I was out thinking it was edible. I'll give it to you, and you will burn it with your love. Amen. What a beautiful way to express this scripture. Do we sense the joy of God's presence around us always in the people that we see, in the things that we accomplish, in the ways that we sometimes fail? We can read many parts of the Bible and find plenty of reasons to have fear, reasons to think God could be frowning on us. But Isaiah 12 reminds us that there is one very powerful reason to trust, and that is that God is always with us. The one who is perfect in every way, the one who created each one of us with all of our imperfections, has made the choice to live with us and to save us again and again and again. And if we can believe that, then we can step away from the fear and joy and the joy will flow through us like a river and we will want to share that joy in all areas of our lives. Amen and amen.